There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But it's, it's notable that 80% of the overshoot of, over the target at that point is due to energy and tradable goods. You buy long-term securities, you drive up their price, you drive down their yield. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship. And what I want to do is different. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, the UK is in the midst of strike action right now. Doctors, nurses, train drivers, teachers, ambulance drivers, you name it. Because public sector wages haven't kept pace with inflation or with the growth in private sector jobs. Although a lot of private sector workers are on strike too. So how do you work out what is a fair wage when the labour market is tight and most people have a job? Won't market forces work that out? In fact, the fact that there are so many nursing vacancies right now is a sign that free market forces are doing just that. People aren't becoming nurses because it doesn't pay enough. Or is there a better way of working out what is the right wage for each job? We look at that this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Just what is the right wage? Now, the average UK nurse's salary is close to £35,000. In Australia, it's $88,000, which is about £50,000. No wonder. I mean, that's 43% more. No wonder UK nurses want to go and live in Australia, uh, aside from the weather. Uh, The average salary for the Governor of the Bank of England is a little over half a million. So, obviously, he's doing the work of 15 nurses... Uh, that's how we place a value on him. Teachers get more than nurses on average, almost £39,000 last year, with head teachers earning 74000 Although, if you were the CEO of Bet365, you got paid £260 million last year. So for encouraging more people to gamble, you got paid the salary of 6,700 teachers. That is how society values people. It's madness, of course. But, Steve, it's market. It forces you get pay what you demand. If you ask too much, you don't get the job. Mm. Isn't that the way it works? But these massive differentials, I mean, how do we get to such a ludicrous position? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a huge question. Partly it's because we fooled ourselves into believing that the pay you get reflects your contribution to society. And so that's you know your, your comparison of the guy running the, the betting company getting the equivalent salary at six and a half thousand teachers or nurses. Uh, therefore, he's worth six and a half thousand times as much as... No, he's not. He started the company, by the way, I think, to his... Well, that, to that's his, OK. He's a capitalist. That makes a bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's not a, a salary in that case. But like the, the top wages, the people like, you know, uh, what's his name, Alan Joyce in Qantas, mm. you know, five, six, seven million, ten, twenty million dollars a year. To run an airline into the ground. To run yeah. an airline. Well, it occasionally hits the ground. Sometimes it takes off. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but but, but the, the, the I, mean, I want to get away from economic theory because it's it's such a distorting position to start from, and I f- prefer always to work from the, what the empirical data tells you. And here, the best work, and this is a, a, a shout out to one of my uh, good friends, as, as he's become, uh, the best work on what actually explains the distribution of economy we see is Blair Fix. 
Okay, you'll see his stuff on Twitter mm. regularly, and he yeah. runs a runs a. I think it's called Economic from the Top Down. Uh, blog so we've had him as well. on the podcast. Huh? We've had him on, had the, on podcast. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So Blair um, was trying to make sense of the empirical data he had about income distribution, both uh, between firms, but also inside firms yeah. in America. Got a huge database. I think it's called the CompuStat database, and he tried to make sense of it. Neoclassical theory was useless, and he, unless you wanted to believe that the, the guy at the top was sixty thousand times as productive as the people actually working on the production line and so on. He finally said, the only thing I can correlate it to is hierarchy. Mm. How many people answer to you is the explanation for how much you get paid. And so what we, we have is a hierarchical society. We, we, we have this myth of uh, you know, perfect competition and small traders everywhere and the reality is Walmarts and Amazons and, and giant corporations and therefore people inside those giant corporations have enormous numbers of people reporting to them and when you look at the the, the number of people that report to them, that is what explains the salary, not yeah. not their contribution, but then it's that's their why, command. And that is exactly why within corporations you have empire builders who figured this out and they go, well, yeah. I just need to get more people working for me because then I can demand a higher salary. Yeah. But then what happens is at some point in the cycle of that company, they'll say, we've got too many people working for us. We need to get our earnings per share. So small in revenue, sort of falling yeah, revenue. Yeah. Worried about the share price. We've got to get our earnings per yeah. share back up again. We need to lay off a whole load of people. And they go, oh, look, there's a whole there's a whole middle management level here where if we get rid of them, hmm. we'll save a fortune. And guess what? They get rid of them. And nobody notices the difference. Well, this is, this, the, we're raising a whole lot of stuff, including <laughs> David Graeber's work on bullshit jobs and yeah, so yeah. on. But if you understand that, hi- I mean, hierarchy pl- does play an important and useful role in our c- civilization. We, we need to, as well as looking at what the negative about these various things are, we have to see what is the functional role of hierarchy as well. Well, you need somebody in charge. Not, in, so, in- much, not so much that, but... But we have, I mean, the, we we think it's quite normal to have a city of 11 million people or to have a corporation with two and a half million employees, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But then if you say, well, what's actually going on in our brains to handle that complexity? And this is where the a fascinating research by a mathematical anthropologist uh, called Dunbar yeah. was done. I think if you've the, talked the, 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 the Dunbar, Dunbar number. number. Okay. Yeah. Now, that is how many people and what's the you can legitimately remember can you keep in your mind and know not just your relationship with those people but know their relationship with other people yeah okay so uh and and this would because when we were tribes people it would be the size of it when we were tribes people it would be the size of the tribe for example which is about 150 people so what what the the way this was actually worked out by dunbar in the first place who's a specialist in so we can we can function as a group of 150 we We, we don't need that higher now you whereas chimpanzees can't do it okay right. they can handle about 30 i think it is mm. uh and then ape, and, and the great apes maybe 40 45 or so right. so you so if you had a company of 150 you could have a fairly flat structure on and, that and, basis. and this is the intriguing thing um, most countries companies don't know that one company that does is the company that makes uh uh not teflon it's um um, oh, I've forgotten it. <laughs> never, I've actually met them. Uh, in, in, in they had in, a big impact on you. Uh, being, yeah. Well, they, they did. Yeah. but They, they, they need was, a couple of extra money. I don't buy their clients. They need two people gear, in marketing. So <laughs> Hang on. Give me, a, give me a break here. Uh, <laughs> it'll come no. to me in, in, in conversation. But it's uh, – the, this particular company, it's – Oh, what's it called? It's not Teflon. It's um. Is it like Teflon? Huh? 
Huh? It's it's, it's like it's it, it's it's like it's a clothing non-stick. material. The stuff that you is uh, waterproof. Um, uh, oh right, like a like a wax type. Uh, yeah, well, see the way it was. <laughs> Do we take a break and look it up and come n- back on this? No, one? no, no. We're going to keep going. Okay, uh, you, okay, you, okay. You, you tell okay. me. It will come you, to me as I continue talking, or you I, look it up I'm, on the I'm web. I'm going to Google waterproof clothing while we're okay. Um, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but you so carry they, on. So they, they so realized 150 was a magic number. And you yeah, didn't need and what they do is in their company, they make it work in divisions of 150 people. Okay, and they they have a deliberately flat structure for the company. But most companies, the 150 people means you have a command hierarchy where you you're down the bottom. Okay, then the person above you. Uh, uh, would be controlling, say, 20 or 30 people like you in a similar situation and being paid a salary to reflect the number of people they've got reporting to them. And then they report to the people above them and so on and so forth. And with all this structure going up, you can get to the stage of a corporation the size of Walmart or Amazon. Mm. Uh, and so without the hierarchy, you couldn't you couldn't do it because with the hierarchy, you only have to know what a a limited number of people think and feel, and you and you can you can delegate what the people below them have to link and feel to the person further down the hierarchy, and this is a common trend which goes you know, right back to the early days of human civilization. So when Blair's done his numbers, he finds that the the uh, the, the Dunbar number, the and the scale of the hierarchy, the number of people who report to you, and the income you earn, makes sense not just of what happens now, but what happened with the pharaohs. Mm. So that hierarchy is what explains the salaries we get. And therefore, the huge salary you're seeing for the guy from um, the sporting company versus the teacher, that's what explains it. Now, the thing is, is that going to give the person at the bottom a sufficient income to survive? Yeah. And you that's just what, get out of that subsistence level. And we're not absolutely. getting it. So, okay, we'll revisit that in just a second. And uh, as to that waterproof uh, uh, fabric, I can't, <laughs> I can't find it. We'll, we'll take a break in about five minutes and we'll, we'll look it up then. Uh, but look, the, I mean, the economic theory, let's get back to the economic theory because yeah. economists talk about the marginal cost. So and you marginal import- product and all this bullshit right. that, is not, that has so no gonna, empirical foundation but, but, whatsoever. Okay, because that bullshit is I'm going to take – I mean, in theory, it sounds logical, doesn't it? So I've got – I'm employing so many people. I want to take on somebody else. Uh, how much is it going to cost for that extra person and how much are they going to improve yeah, my bottom it's, line it's, it's as got a result a, It's of got it. an, a neat level of – plausibility to it, which is what, what's so dangerous about economic theory. It's equal, I mean, it's equally plausible to imagine the planets are on uh, perfect spheres that rotate around the Earth and, and the planets are on are doing <laughs> epicycles. It just works just as well to fit the data and is completely wrong about the structure of the universe. But on, a, on an individual level, so... No, no, no I, let, let's, let's see where this actually comes from because... But just on an individual level, so uh, say, for example, because I'm, I'm facing this as well, as I get more work, I think, well, you know, do I get... Uh, do I get somebody part time mm. who could help me edit, for example? Mm. Mm. And you know what? And how much mo- how much time how much time are they going to save me? How much extra could I make as a result of it? Mm. I mean, that is uh, on an individual. And you level, do make those. I, sorts I of make com- that assumption. In, yeah. in, in, in individual level, it, that sort of thinking does make sense, which is why doing it at a systemic level, it still sounds plausible. Mm. But if you see what's actually required for that to work, the idea of marginal product comes from the idea that we have a fixed amount of capital to which we're adding more and more labor over time. And if you, you have a, a small amount of cap, 
a large amount of capital and a small amount of labor, then each additional worker can add more output than the one beforehand. So you have what's called rising marginal productivity at that level. But then you get to the point where you've got the ideal ratio of workers to machines. And then if you want to go beyond that point, the extra workers you add, add more output, not as much as the ones that went before them. Mm. So you have what's called diminishing marginal productivity. And then that d- declining marginal productivity is what's supposed to hit the demand for labor. Yeah, well, and so that's okay. Now that, that when you look at the real world, you find, well, which firms, for this to actually work, it means that firms on average have to have a higher ratio of labor to machinery than mm. is actually ideal. And you go into the real world and try to find those firms and they well, don't it's exist. Nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And so it has got nothing to do with marginal products. Okay. Yeah. You can, you, what you'll have is a gap. You're paying people a certain amount. You're going to generate more revenue from them. But the whole idea that it's equal to the marginal product is just nonsense. But you also hit the problem that you're going to run out of people at some point as well. I mean, that can have an impact as well, can't it? Where you've got, uh, you know, you run out of teachers or you run out of nurses, which is, you know, what we're facing. Well, it's not because UK. you're paying them too much. It's or not because you're paying them too much. You're exactly. paying them too little. Well, yeah, well, I mean, there's, and there's an interesting point. I mean, if yeah, you, fo- you follow that. The reason, again, they're down the bottom of the hierarchy. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll go out there and we'll, we'll applaud them during COVID and stand on our balconies and number 10 and clap, clap, clap. Yeah. Give them a decent pay. You've got to be kidding. Now, what happens is a lot of people look at that and think, it's not worth my while to be at that level of the hierarchy. I want to be a level above that in hierarchy or go to a different country. But the thing is, when you pull it out, we we need that foundation. The whole, think again of a pyramid here, to, to get to the top of the pyramid, the base has to be sound. Now, if you're diminishing the amount you're paying to the base, people don't want to be part of the base, then your superstructure collapses. Mm. And that's, I think, the situation certainly England is finding itself yeah, in. Yeah, so you've got to have that subsistence level. But you've I got mean, to have a subsistence level, which actually is subsistence. And like yeah. I mentioned, the um, Office of National uh, Statistics put out a, a tweet about a, two, a week or two ago looking at how many people, the survey they did, how many people can actually keep themselves warm during the last cold snap because of the cost of energy and they found 24% of the population could not. I know, and that, that is just done. That is, a, that is a dysfunctional society. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. have to increase the money going to the people at the bottom. Yeah. So, uh, on the nursing thing though, I mean, if you, if, you, if, if you were a government that believed in market theory and you mm. believed all of these, you know, these base economic theories, mm. then you'd be saying, well, we know the wages for nurses are right when we hit full employment for nurses, but we've got 10% of, of nursing vacancies empty at the moment. Mm. That is surely a sign that you're not paying enough. I yeah, mean, if you're, yeah. a commer- if you're a private company, you'd say, we've got to pay you more yeah. because we've got to fill and, those and vacancies. And this is where ideology gets in the way because, yes, I mean, as, as much as I'm critical of you know, privatising services... Uh, to begin with, if you had a private institution that realised it couldn't fill those vacancies... They'd have to pay more. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the government, with that ideology, doesn't do the same thing. So in many ways, this ideology is wrecking the yeah. society from the government down. So the word's monopsony, isn't it? Uh, which is uh, some fancy one, word for where you've, where you've one. got one employer, basically. Yeah. So it distorts the market because you can set whatever wage you want because yeah, people yeah. have got no choice. And you should instead be setting a sufficient wage. Uh, and, and this, uh, I mean, we've been through this before. We have had cycles in capitalism before where we end up in a crisis and then go through a bit of a shock. And if you look back at the biggest one, the Great Depression, you know, 25% unemployment rate in the United States, the Second World War, the rise of Hitler was due to a Great Depression caused by austerity. It had nothing to do 
given the time lapse between them and the Weimar Republic, people have conflated the two in their minds. What brought Hitler to power was austerity. Mm. Okay, so uh, and then the reason he got out of, uh, we got the, the the support of the German people was because he had huge government, huge deficit spending. The economy is back in a boom again. Everybody had a job, yeah. and that's why he got the exalted position in the first place. Well. It came out of austerity and a response to austerity leading to the Second World War. Now, on the other side of that horror, uh, you had the attitude, and I, I know the Australian uh, lit- literature well, as you can imagine, uh, the Australian uh, white paper on employment in 1946, written by Nugget Coombs, had the expression saying the objective of government policy is to maintain such a pressure on the economy as to guarantee a shortage of men rather than a shortage of jobs. Now, that's all been eroded by the last 50 or 60 years of neoclassical thinking. And now we think, oh, who cares if the people down the bottom don't get a decent salary? Ultimately, you will care. Now, there are very few companies that recognize the importance of the Dunbar number, particularly those in the waterproof clothing industry. Uh, (laughs) But we will reveal one company that does as soon as we've looked them up during the break. We'll back in just a second. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. We are looking this week at how do you set wages? This curious situation where nurses are struggling to get by. Uh, We've talked about the need for some sustainable level, uh, which we often don't reach. And then, of course, CEOs earning masses, millions. Are they really worth it? And how do they get away with it? And, uh, and, you know, the the importance that we talked about organization Mm. in the first half. And we talked about, uh, yeah, this company, Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex. Okay. So I you've think met, I can, you've I've met, met them. them. I've met the family. Uh, they, uh, the, the Gore-Tex family. The Gore-Tex, and they actually have a post-Keynesian economic advisor, which is why I got invited to speak to them. Is that uh, their name, actually? Uh, Seriously, they're the Gore-Tex. Well, the Gore family. I think oh, Texas because Texas. of Texas. Yeah, oh, Gore-Tex. Right, okay. okay. Right, okay. Um, but, but that particular company... Uh, realized that you know the the best way to have a a well functioning division was to have the division stop at 150 people, and they and the similar thing applies to the um, uh, the Mondragon um, system in Spain, which is 
has been for a long time the fastest fast-growing region of the world, uh, started by a Catholic priest to reduce unemployment there. And uh, so a bunch of worker cooperatives began. And then they they do tend to spin off those cooperatives when they exceed something like about 7,000 people in each each group. But they're, they're again organised on a done-by-number approach. So when you understand mm. um, that importance of how many people can we actually properly relate to, hierarchy solves part of it. Uh, flat structures don't work unless you sit within the 150 limitation and do something to, to handle it. But the hierarchy is what determines your income. And then what it means is your income, your wage is determined by bargaining power. Now, if you do what has been done under neoliberalism for the last 40 or 50 years and you destroy trade unions, then workers don't have bargaining power mm. and therefore their salaries fall. So it's got nothing to do with being set by the market per se. It's set by relative power. And you've undermined, and by following neoclassical theory and saying the wage is set by the marginal product, you've undermined the capacity of workers to bargain and the ones at the bottom, and particularly those who care about what they're doing and therefore don't want to you know, decide to go on strike because it'll be people who suffer in hospitals and kids who don't get taught and so on. They're the ones who accept it and they end up being pushed far below what they can tolerate. And that's the situation we're in now. So I understand, I don't condone it, but I understand why this this, this move to try and crush unions, because if mm. you've got a company, imagine you've got a company and you're paying everyone £400 per week. Mm. And you've basically used up or you've found all the people who are prepared to work for 400 pounds a week and you now have to go on to those who only work for you if you pay 450. Mm. So you start paying them 450. Mm. Uh, then you don't want all the people on 400 to discover that you're now paying 450 because uh, you, you've got to pay more to get people mm. these days. Uh, so, you know, and the, the, the tighter the labour market, obviously, the more you're going to have to pay people. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you don't want those people who've been working for you, those loyal people who've been mm. working for you on 400, you don't want to work, find out how much these new people are getting paid. Uh, and, you know, if you had collective bargaining and all those sorts of nasty things, they'd find all that out. And then all of a sudden, everyone's being, being paid 450, yeah. your wage bill shoots up. Yeah. That's why you don't want it. And that's, and, and, and this individual level. Uh, motivations as part of the systemic nature of capitalism mm. that um, if, if you just if you try just to inflow, inflict what you think at the individual level the systemic will come back and bite you and that what that's what tends to happen so we just have to get used to the fact that society yes we do have conflict inside society the question is to minimize it uh, in terms of stopping it causing breakdown of the society itself and to, to accept cyclical changes in, in power over time as well. So uh, we, we, if you, 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 the whole idea of having an individual worker bargaining with the firm, the power in different the power contrast is huge. Yeah. But if you can say let's get together and collectively bargain, then you, you even out the power relationship and it's power that determines the relative income. And if you're, if you're a unit of 150 people, then even if everyone is seeing their wages increase, mm. it's 150 times whatever the increase is versus uh, 100,000 people times. So it's, you know, so maybe again, the idea of smaller units, which gets onto the thinking about whether that is a better way for the public sector to organise itself. So we think of the National Health Service, and uh -huh. it's been broke, it's been chunked into uh, regional centres. Uh -huh. I mean, if there's a way that 
organisations like that could be taken down to the Dunbar number, well, then, would when, it work you, better? When you, I mean, you go and work at a local NHS, there'll be 15 people or 30 people working inside there. That's small enough for everybody to know what's going on. It's when you get enormous hierarchies and you appoint bureaucrats in the middle. Mm. The, the, if the bureaucrats understood their role was to, was to manage huge organisations given the Dunbar limitations on the number of people that you can interact with, you might get a, a more decent form of management. But what tends to happen is you you've, you side with the interest at your level of the hierarchy. Yeah. Okay. And neoclassical theory, uh, even though it's completely ignorant of all that stuff, strengthens the hand of those at the top and weakens those at the bottom. So I was, uh, before I moved back to Britain, mm. I was, and I was looking at education because part of the reason we came back here, uh, mm. interestingly, was because we actually do think the education system is better, or, or the public education system is better here in the UK than it is in Australia. I mean, mm. the situation in Sydney is if you've got kids, you've got to pay for private school, by and large, haven't you? Controversial and statement. privatising public services. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So maybe, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, that's one situation where Australia's gone the wrong way, I yeah. think. But um, when we moved back here, uh, I was confronted with this idea that there are uh, individual uh, uh, operations that are running um, several schools rather mm. than local authorities running all of the schools. Mm. So these are, are, are not-for-profit organisations. Mm. Uh, they're academy schools, so you have an academy. So um, so our kids are in an academy that runs, I think, four schools. Mm. Uh, and uh, and that's so it's a small enough entity that it manages itself, and it mm. actually does really well. It has mm. very good results. It's, uh, it, it's turned around a school that was a low-achieving school to actually, which is now one of the top five uh, state schools in the country, just around the corner from where we're recording this, where my mm. kids go to school. Mm. And that is a result of the academy system working mm. rather than local authorities running, I don't know, 20, 30, 50, however many, you know, however mm. many schools mm. there are in, in the area. It wouldn't be quite that much, but still mm. uh, the county council would have that many. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a, that might be a case of where things are getting chunked up and it's working more efficiently. I mean, uh, operationally, doesn't affect wages, of course, because wages are still determined by how much the government is prepared to pay. And the government mm. says, we're going to pay you so much per teacher. They can figure out how they spread it, I guess, amongst the teachers. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Just as an aside, it seems mm. like a more if we if they also had autonomy on wages, then maybe because then you'd be in a situation where teachers could say, well, OK, you're not going to pay me enough. I'm going to work for another uh, academy around the corner. And, but then how do you stop wage inflation happening there? Well, maybe you want wage inflation to some extent because, again, technological development and capitalism has been driven by a desire to displace labour. Mm. Uh, and what you, when you do it, you then have a you know, high level of, of output because you've invented new technology, which then means your economy, you know, again, the growth growth dilemma once more. But uh, you will grow more rapidly. So the, the classic instance being the spinning jenny would have been unprofitable in France because wages were too low, mm. profitable in Scotland because wages were high uh, and that meant that the source of the industrial revolution wasn't France it was Scotland yeah uh, now so so these types of developments this conflictual but creative conflict is is part of of capitalism and what you get out of neoclassical theory is a belief in harmony and market markets deciding everything and it's simply wrong as a description of how the system but functions. teachers nurses uh, restaurants I mean they you know all those that those service industries mm-hmm. I mean you can't replace them with machines but you do want to make sure that you're paying a, a decent wage. And you're not. 
And, mm. and, and then you're getting the result that people are leaving the, leaving the professions, deciding it's not worth their while, mm. particularly in nursing right now. The stresses on the medical system in the UK are huge. Mm. And uh, people think, I, I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart. When you know nurses and, and work with people who work in that area, they... They, are, they they do themselves see themselves as being doing a service and being paid for the service, but because they do that, they're not willing to go on strike. They're not willing to bargain. So I remember way back, like about fifty something years ago, with my then girlfriend, whose sister was a trainee nurse, and the wages were dreadful for mm. the trainee nurses. And this is back in New South Wales in the nineteen seventies or thereabouts. And they went on strike. They finally had all they could take with being because they were being treated like you're back at home with mum and dad, so you don't need to worry about paying for a house. Uh, you're learning, so we don't have to pay you a full salary. Etc. Etc. And they were getting such trivial wages. They finally had, had all they could take, and they did go on strike. And they got a sixty-two percent wage increase. Wow. Okay. That, that took yeah. them back up to a living standard. standard okay? Yeah. So what? What because people who work in these areas, people working as paramedics, um, in, in firemen, etc. Etc. They really do have a sense of doing something for society, and they get taken advantage of, mm. particularly with this neoclassical mindset that dominates government. Well, as we said in the introduction, if you want to get nurses to stop going over to Australia, you have to give them a forty percent pay increase yeah. to, to get to be on the same time. the same salary. About bloody so time. The, the, it the, won't the, happen. And this is the monopsony effect, isn't it? It. So it well, the would, government, yeah. The, the government so if, needs, if you did ch- chunk it up then, if you did say, well, okay, the government yeah. needs to provide the money to run yeah. the health service yeah. or teachers. Let's take teachers as an example. Yeah. Take that academy of school a, a, approach example yeah. and say, well, okay, we are going to give money to those academies. To you pay de- higher you, wages. Yeah. To, well, well, you determine the wages. You determine what you do with that money, mm. whether you build a, a new mm. wing or whether you pay mm. uh, or invest in property or you or you pay higher wages. You, you take the pick. They would have to pay higher wages to try and get the best teachers for their school to give the best performance. We'll give a, at least give a wage that means the average teacher can afford to, to, to live. live, yeah, yeah, which at the moment they can't. Mm. Yeah. But is that a better approach? Because we tend to centralise a lot of stuff in the UK. The government does it, therefore the central government does it. So in the, in the States, there's more state government. In Australia, even the states, the states doing more. In the UK, it's it's central government or local authorities, and and local authorities are given a pittance. Well, local authority. There's actually a large way that the uh, Tories uh, enforced austerity was by giving councils less and less money to do yeah. their job, and and that outs that that outsources the pain and, and forces the councils to cut back rather than the central government doing it. I think this is the sort of stuff where you do need a a large scale provision of, of the services. So in America, and I've got lots of friends that have got kids at American schools, uh, the pressure is to move to an area where, the, where there's sufficient revenue coming in from the local government to mean the schools are well-funded. Mm. And you get it, it amplifies the distortion and inequality in American society, uh, where if you do that, at the certainly at the state level, and which is Australia's uh, approach, at least it's over such a broad segment of society that you, you know, you're not going to move from one state to another. Uh, you're going to move somewhere in the state if it's local government-based funding. But if it's state-level funding, then there's so many local government areas and so many ranges of incomes that you won't make the move. And that's a better way to manage it. Well, we're going to talk to Richard McGaughey. He's written a book called Unequal Cities. And one of the things I want to talk to him about is just that, how Mm. how cities are basically self-funded in the United States. And Mm. doesn't that create distortionary impacts like uh, like you're talking about there? Mm. Quickly before we go today, Mm. Uh, another, uh, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a crackpot theory. Uh, another conventional economics crackpot theory is the efficiency wage theory, that if you pay people more, they're going to work harder. 
Is there any sound basis oh, to in, that? In, in, it's, it, there's a certain amount of a basis to it. If you, if, if you feel resentment from the moment you walk into your employment that you're going to get paid, you've got to, got to work to get some level of, of, of uh, income, but you're going backwards all the time and you can't afford last little luxuries, yeah. then yes, then you will be... Re- they're taking the piss, so I'll yeah. take the piss oh, back. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. The, the Russians at the other extreme used to say that uh, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. Mm. Uh, so it's a similar sort of thing, but it was more systemic with the Russians. But you, you have to give people sufficient income that they feel they can be part of the good life, even if they can't become the managing director. Yeah. And that was the mentality. You build that, loyalty to the company. Yeah, so I'm the, gonna, happy, the happy yeah. days... You look at yeah. the American Happy Days uh, 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 sitcom. Uh, it was called Happy Days for a reason. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and lots of. I mean, also, you know, if you get paid a good salary, mm. you don't you don't want to lose the job, do you? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to hang on to it. So you're going to work that little bit harder. Mm. Uh, the, the so other- the distribution of income matters, and we've skewed it far too much in favour of the, of the of the wealthy and the and, and the financial sector, and away from uh, the average income earner and the non-financial sector of the economy. So we're paying a price for financial financialization here, and that has been extreme in the last sixty to seventy years. If you go back to, again, what caused the Great Depression, it was the finance sector being too big. Mm. It collapsed during the Great Depression, got driven back down to the, you know, the, the the scale that it should have been at by the end of the Second World War, and then it's grown back up again. So it's the financial sector we should be blaming, not the trade unions. Well, and yet the financial sector s- seem to think that they are the ones that are going to solve this problem of rising wages. You know that, uh, And you, you can't help thinking, well, the reason why wages are rising are because we have hit that subsistence level and nurses are saying well we can't cope with 10 percent inflation because mm. we can't earn any less than we already do so mm. we're going to go on strike till we get paid enough and i guess also even you know once you're beyond that level you look at the whole efficiency theory as well mm. companies will go well we've got a workforce here we can't keep them all on we could pay people less but if we pay people less then we're going to get hit that stage where people are feeling disenfranchised they feel as though we we are taking the piss a bit so we'll lay off people so we can keep the people we've got on a decent wage. So it's very hard to see how wages would stop growing when you've got inflation because you you might get rid of people, but you're not going to cut their wages down. Uh, and there's people who are on subsistence wages are going to see their wages well, go up. Then, Central banks seem to think they, they can offset all of that and we can see wage growth slow because they're going to push up interest rates and that's going to solve all those problems. How's that going to work? <laughs> Badly, as it is so far. <laughs> Clearly. So anyway, just as a point to finish with, yeah, okay. uh, the average monthly net salary, this is in US dollars, mm-hmm. uh, country by country, right? So the UK, $2,800. The US, $4,200. Australia, $3,600. Switzerland, $5,900. dollars uh, why this huge variation and why is the UK so low? So because far, you've, de- you've de-industrialised following Maggie Thatcher's idea that you could have a services-based economy. Right, but Sweden is 2,600 as well. So Sweden's actually less than the UK. But possibly a higher provision of social services yeah. coming out of so that. So you don't need as you much money. You don't need as much money. Yeah. yeah. And you can certainly experience that when you spend time in Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, you've reduced the costs on that basis. Uh, but, yeah, the, the salary difference, the, the UK is de-industrialised. Putting my right-wing hat on, which doesn't fit very comfortably, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd say in that case uh, what you're doing is you are subsidising companies. They can pay less because the government is paying more. 
Well, the government. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but that's but clearly what clearly what is happening. It can be, so long as you get sufficient coverage of people's basic needs, mm. and the Scandinavians are better at doing it than the UK is mm. on a dramatic scale. So the level of inequality here, uh, the, 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 a large number of the population, and from that ONS survey, we can say at least a quarter of the population is below the level that enables you to maintain a physiologically decent lifestyle right. and physiology is the most basic of our needs and that is very easy to fix isn't it you just stick up the minimum wage in a productive capacity to support it and that's what the UK lacks yeah yeah and that's all. All this stuff is supposed to be fixed by forty years of neoliberalism, right? But well, the end you, result of it is, you, what you focused on was selling debt to each other. <laughs> Absolutely. But if you if you pushed up that minimum wage, then oh. you would increase the productivity uh, product capacity, wouldn't you? Because well, people would have no, more money to spend. Happens, nothing happens instantly. But you need you need to do something which uh, which enables you to pay a decent income to people, and that comes down to your productive capacity as an economy. And Britain doesn't have it anymore. But if, it is but, becoming a third world country. Yeah. Well, actually, an example of that, and this is just as an aside, uh, the price of rhubarb. <laughs> price of a, rhubarb? Yeah. So here we this are. This is really what I, I call an aside. I, yeah. It is an aside. Yeah. Uh, £3.50 for just uh, like four. Four sticks. Sticks. So almost a pound per stick. Mm. So uh, Where is it being imported from? From the UK. So this, it's actually made in the UK. So this is why it's so frigging expensive. Mm. Whereas for less than the price of one stick of rhubarb, this is in Sainsbury's over the weekend, mm. I could get a melon imported from South America. So uh, it's more expensive to pick stuff locally than mm. it is to have what you'd perceive as being more expensive stuff shipped around the world. So that is uh, that's because, but that that would be because we pay too much to people to pick. Locally, so how does that fit? With it's all the- more likely your productivity if you if you if you, if you your food manufacturing system. Mm. Like compare what things are like in the Amsterdam or in, in Holland, and it's a damn sight cheaper here because they have a far more productive, semi-industrialized but low low um, low pesticide, low fertilizer, a huge amount of stuff grown inside greenhouses. They're just more productive than you are with higher wages. Mm. Now, when you, what you tell you in the case of the melons, you've got you know, much much lower income standards and living standards for South Americans or why are you paying such a low price for it? Mm. Okay, but it, 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 it comes down to Britain hasn't had to industrialise because it's paid such lousy wages. It, it's, it's reversed what, what it learned, so what it you, should have learned during the Industrial Revolution. Okay, so final point then. So if, I, if we increase minimum wage, okay, as you say, it takes time. I don't know what, two, five, ten years, however mm. long it takes. Mm. If you increase minimum wage, people's spending increases, therefore consumption increases. So you are going to... Support local industries, presumably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like one of my favourite examples of wage rises, and people most people wouldn't be aware of this. I was very aware of it at the time. Singapore, mm. uh, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, I think in the nineteen seventy-eight or thereabouts, uh, announced that there was going to be a, I think, a twenty-seven percent or thirty-four percent increase in wages. And any kind of company that company that can't so cope with that is welcome to leave. And uh, I remember at the time it was going to be horror, Singapore's going to collapse, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, it's going to drive out low-wage manufacturing and become a high-income, you know, high high-wage society. It's a very unusual society. It's got an enormous amount of entreport activity and its exports are almost larger than its GDP. Um, it possibly are you know, larger given the overall accounting of those things. Um, but it's nobody calls Singapore a basket case. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it does a lot of things people think 
Well, uh, this uh, this is what Boris was arguing for, though. We're, we're, we're you know, make both Singapore on Thames. Well, is we what need, he we need to on you on Boris. <laughs> that we didn't get that. <laughs> but, so, but I mean, it, it, it sounds like all you got to do then, Boris, if you want Singapore on Thames. I mean, he's is long gone. Wages, right? is inc- he's increased wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe Rishi could take I'll that one. Just give it up. to your rich mates. Yeah. All right. Very good. Excellent. Uh, catch you again next week, Steve. Okay, Matt. The Debunking Economics Podcast. 